from Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. Um, I know he was in Fantastic Mr. Fox. There you go. That's the only one you're actually allowed to yeah. see. I mean, literally, that's the only film you're allowed to see. I mean, you can yeah. watch Batman and Robin because it doesn't harm anyone, doesn't help anyone. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't think uh, there's yeah. any, you know, I don't think there's anything I've done that uh, you're of age yet. <laughs> when newcomer Kalen Springle landed the part opposite George Clooney in the new film, The Midnight Sky, the young star had only seen one previous Clooney film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Clooney wasn't offended as it's the only age-appropriate one he recommends. I'm Clayton Davis. On this bonus edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talk to George Clooney and Kaylin Springle about The Midnight Sky. The pair talk about how they handled the harsh conditions of shooting in Iceland. Clooney also discusses how composer Alexandre Desplat scored the movie during COVID and also reveals details about his next film projects, The Tenant Bar and Calico Joe. It's all on this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. The Midnight Sky is a post-apocalyptic story starring George Clooney as Augustine Lofthouse, a lonely scientist in the Arctic who races against time to stop a group of astronauts from returning home to a global catastrophe. He's paired with a mute stowaway named Iris, played by Kalen Springle. That's either. It's a spaceship. Coming back from a planet that we hoped would be our future. I have to contact them before it's too late. My journey has us returning with more answers than questions, except one question lingers in the air. Our last contact with Mission Control. Three weeks. We've lost contact with NASA and everyone else. Is this a glitch? You really believe that? I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth. Clooney is months from his 60th birthday, and he shows no signs of slowing down. The veteran actor, director, and producer is well aware of how lucky he is, and he doesn't take it for granted. As for Springle, she describes being very excited with landing the part after her London audition, particularly with the prospect of shooting in Iceland. I recently spoke to Clooney and Springle about The Midnight Sky. We began by discussing how they're doing during these very unusual pandemic times. You know, we're all doing, we're all getting by. We, we're all sort of, uh, certainly in the United States, we're, we're still, we're having some of the same shared experiences in the fact that we, I miss my parents and I miss seeing the people that, uh, that are dear to me and I care very much for and I am concerned about. Uh, I'm very lucky that uh, I'm here at home with my kids and my wife and we're safe and we're, and hoping for the best. There seems to be some light at the end of this tunnel and hoping for the, you know, the beginning or middle of spring for things to start to turn around. Kaylin? Well, at the beginning of the big lockdown, I actually felt a little bit trapped because I couldn't go outside and I have to do all my learning on screen. And it was a little bit tricky because sometimes my mum was working, my dad was at work and I didn't know what to do. So sometimes I would ask my sister and they would not help. So struggled. Ooh, not helping you when you're asking. Did did you ask George for help? Did he help you with any schoolwork? No. <laughs> no. No, you wouldn't come to me for help in schoolwork. <laughs> That's the last thing you would. Do. <laughs> uh, let, let's let's talk about this movie, The Midnight Sky. Uh, congratulations, guys! Like 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 I, from honestly uh, for you, uh, George. Congratulations. The movie is 
spectacular and you guys are so great uh, in it. And it's such a beautiful film. Can you talk about shooting this uh, in a very, very uh, remote and cold condition or conditions rather? Sure. You know, it was interesting, uh, Clayton. We were the very first thing, you know, everything we, sh- the, the movie's kind of two, a two-hander, right? It's in space. And, it's, and so everything, we shot all of our stuff. Kaylin and I shot all of our stuff first. So the very first thing we did in mid-October was we went out to Iceland and went out onto a glacier. And some of it, you know, we, we were at the mercy of weather. You know, we needed weather. We needed bad weather. So sometimes you know, we'd get out on that glacier to be a perfectly blue sky. Remember this, Kaylin? And we'd be watching and you could see this white cloud, like a, you know, like a dust storm coming towards you. And we'd all, we'd have strings tied to one another. Remember they gave us whistles to blow in case we, we got lost from one another. And, and I'm holding Kaylin's hand. And then, you know, then it's all hell breaks loose. And it's just, you can't see each other. You know, you can't, you can't hear each other. My eyelashes would freeze shut. Kaylin had these you know, these big goggles on and she's wrapped up and she's still getting blown over and knocked onto the ground. And we actually have, remember we, we, we were digging ourselves out of, uh, in, into holes in the, in the ice and we had to walk down to an ice cave. It looks like a set, but that's a real ice cave way, way down. And it took a long time to walk down. And Kalen was a trooper, man. Kalen, your first movie and he's making you dig holes in Iceland so you could stay warm. How, how, how did that feel? Well, it felt a little bit weird because at first he just got digging it with a shovel and then just digging it with his hand. And then he was like, come on, let's let's do this scene. And he just went, he just said, sit in this hole. <laughs> and then we filmed it. And then when we went to that glass cave or under it, I actually felt a little bit scared because everyone else like wearing helmets and I wasn't like a tiny bit but wasn't that with only with my coat and I was scared to bump my head but it was actually not that short it was actually pretty tall but still it was very cold. Kaylin there's one thing you're going to learn about working on a set in general um the rest of the crew will be covered from head to toe uh, in in protective gear, while you'll be standing out there with nothing, <laughs> and they're all go- watching you, and you're like, oh, all right, okay. Uh, and Caitlin, this was your first movie. How did how did you uh, get the part? How did you end up working with uh, George Clooney? So first, we did an audition in London, and I just didn't expect anything. And then we got the phone call to meet George Grant and the casting director, and I was actually pretty excited. And then I I just said I just felt a little bit nervous but then when I went them he taught me to do George taught me to do this like very important scene that Iris needs to do and then I wait we couple, we waited a couple of weeks and then we got the phone call that we got it and I was like jumping up and down like yeah got it and then I thought like we were going to Iceland and I was like I'm gonna leave my family behind but at least I'm going to Iceland <laughs> Well, we didn't leave all your family behind. We brought your mom. You know, it wasn't, you yeah. went on your own. You know, we're not cruel. Yeah. Wait, how did you guys decide which parent went, mom or dad, or it just had yeah, to be how mom? You decide that, Kaylin. Well, my dad always wanted to go to Iceland, but my mom just said, "Nope, I'm going." <laughs> just called dibs. Good, good mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kaylin actually, when she came into to we we met with her, and you know, there's a lot of things that. Uh, 
you know, we're tricky about this part. One is that you don't speak at all. But the other is that it, one of the hardest things to do as an actor is to show fear. It's a weird thing. It's hard to, you know, <gasps> you know without it just being ridiculous. And so that was one you worry about with someone who hasn't acted in a film before, you know, is, is, could you do it? So we went outside and I just took a, a camera and we just ran up. Remember, we were running in the parking lot and I'd say, all right, now turn around and give me your scared face. Remember that? And she did a beautiful job. And the minute she did it, I thought, OK, well, we're going to be fine. What do you feel, um, George, in the difference between uh, directing yourself, especially in this remote location with just someone else? Uh, how do you kind of balance that, you know, obviously make sure you get the right shots and the right emotional response, but you're also worried about everything else that's going around you? Well, it's an interesting thing. You're, you know, you've got, you're spinning a bunch of plates, you know, the best way to do that first and foremost is to be really, really prepared, you know? So I, you know, we knew, you think about it, we're going to Iceland in October. So it gets light around 11, 1130 in the, in the morning and it's dark by three and, and Kaylin being of the age she is, she only has a certain amount of time that you can shoot with her as well. Um, and so you have to really be prepared. And then you have to add the element of chasing weather. You know, we get in a thing and all of a sudden it's too sunny or too nice. Or, or then we get there and it was, it was actually not nice enough. Or, you know, it was a constant sort of thing. So you needed to really be prepared and ready for that. And then you have to be able to handle a couple of things, which is doing a scene, knowing that the camera has just moved in too quickly while you're in the middle of the scene and go, you know, cut, let's do it again, come in a little bit later and let's try it, you know. It's just you're just balancing two things. And, you know, I've been doing it long enough now that um, that's not as complicated as it feels. Uh, Caitlin, how long how long were you in Iceland uh, for the entire shoot? It was probably four to five weeks, I think. Four, maybe. I think it's three. Yeah. And how cold are we talking there? Like, how low did the temperature get? Okay, one time it dropped like 28 minus 28 degrees and it was freezing 40 degrees below wind chill factor and it was 70 mile an hour gusts so you know we just get knocked over literally knocked. yeah is, is, is this this has to be the hardest shoot you've ever done right like of your career um yeah yeah, yeah. for in for every direction if you forgetting all the you know forgetting all the stuff we had to do then then you got to go do a, a movie in space which is you know, talk to Alfonso. It's not easy to do. It's a, it was, you know, again, it's like a lot of, it was seven or eight months of prepping that stuff too. Caitlin, when you were done with your parts of, of the shoot and you were there four to four to five weeks and this is your first movie ever, <laughs> I guess, are you looking forward to your next movie? Do you just knowing that it's probably good chance to be a lot easier in terms of shooting conditions, <laughs> unless you're just going to be the new uh, doing uh, Arctic freezing. She's only going to do snow movies. Snow movies, that's it. <laughs> well, I do have a movie lined up, but it's not in the freezing cold. It's actually mm. somewhere nice. <laughs> somewhere nice? <laughs> yeah, Budapest. Ooh. Oh, Budapest. That's beautiful. It's two cities, Buda and Pest, and you're right on the Danube on the river. It's beautiful. That's awesome. Let, let me uh, uh, back to you, uh, George, for a minute. I, something I always have to credit you. I'm, I'm the film awards editor here at Variety. I'm always looking at this through through an awards lens. Uh, and you're one of the champions that we look for 
in a person who has a lot of access to making film and giving people their proper due. I have a, I'm going to try to bring her pretty close. I have a picture here that Variety took eight years ago. It's you and Damien Bashir. Oh yeah. At the Oscars. And the rumor is because of that meeting, that's why Damien Bashir is in the movie today. Or one of the reasons. Well, I mean, I'd seen the movie, but you know, you've done this long enough now, you know, it's sort of the circuit once you're, you know, in the nominating, you know, once you've been nominated because it's the golden globes and it's the, the Oscars and you're doing all these, you know, uh, you know, these things would have been done in front of an audience and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you end up spending a lot of time together. And, uh, and it was fun because it was a fun group. It was uh, Jean de Jordan and Damien and Brad and Gary Oldman. So it was a really fun group. And Demi and I really hit it off. And having seen his movie and then paying attention to his career more so afterwards, you know, he has this, um, there's a gentleness to him and, uh, and an intelligence, uh, a very real quiet sort of beautiful intelligence to him. And, you know, I just called him up and said, uh, you want to come be a, an astronaut? And he said, you know, he said something about being thrilled to be a Mexican <laughs> astrophysicist. And, you know, and I was like, bring it on. I love it. Awesome. Kaylin, and you can tell me the truth, it's fine. You're not going to get in trouble. How many George Clooney movies had you seen before you got the part? Two. Two. Oh, do you remember which ones? Um, I remember one, but I can't remember the other one. Um, I know he was in Fantastic Mr. Fox. There you go. That's the only one you're actually allowed to see. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, literally, that's the only film you're allowed to see. I mean, you can yeah. watch Batman and Robin because it doesn't harm anyone. Yeah. It doesn't help anyone. <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't think uh, there's any, you know, I don't think there's anything I've done that uh, you're of age yet. (laughs) How old were you when you got the part and how old are you now? So I think I was, it's a long time and I think I was seven. Yeah, seven. And I'm right now eight. George, and and a lot of changes have happened for you in the last uh, few years. And I'm just kind of in the spiritual mode because the world is on fire. But uh, you being a, a dad now, there is a scene in the movie, I'm not going to give anything away, but where you are looking for her in where you can't see her, follow, come to my voice. Yeah. And it is, it is a, I call it the whale, the parent whale that you only have if you have kids. Yeah. And I don't know if you could have done this 10 years ago in the same manner. Uh, do, do you think, was there any type of like connection for you? Yeah, there is. I mean, certainly, you know, you, you don't go through life without being affected. Certainly by you have children. I have two three-year-olds. And uh, uh, so you don't go through life without having that affect you. And yes, you're absolutely right. The sound of uh, that loss is, um, you know, it, it's it was devastating when we did it. And it was devastating to cut it together because you do have that sense of, you know, there's a part of this film in general that is about isolation and our inability to communicate and our inability to be near the people we love. And that is a very specific example of taking away and losing something that you care deeply about. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, you don't think about it much because just having children and getting into it, you're so focused on, you know, just getting through the days, you know, as you know, yeah. um, uh, I'm lucky my kids are three, so I don't have to deal with Kalen kind of going to school. I don't have to teach him trigonometry on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. 
but I, but you know, it is a, you know, it is a, a tremendous responsibility and, and you start to understand that there's nothing that matters more. Kalen, bring me to the moment that you saw the movie for the first time when he, when he sent it over to your Netflix queue or sent you a copy of it. What, what did it feel like to watch yourself on a screen? Because you probably saw it at home, not a movie screen. A computer, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it felt a little bit weird because I was actually sitting up here and I just seeing me up there. It was a little bit strange. And I remember my sister saw it and she said, Kaylin, look at your big head. You look, <laughs> look how big you are. And I was like, a little bit offense by that. But like, I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. Your sister's done two mean things in this whole entire time. We'll help you with your homework and criticizing you on, on film. <laughs> so we're, we'll, we'll have a talk. We'll have a talk with her soon enough. George, you're, you're, you're coming to a milestone in, in your life. You're going to be 60 next year. Yeah, man. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, just, <laughs> like, you're like, you're like uh, Kalen's sister right now. <laughs> no, I was like, you're coming, you're, 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 you've been working for a long time and you've been, I'm saying you've been killing it the whole time. And, um, in many ways, this is first is the largest thing you've ever done. Most, I think, one of the most personal things you've ever done. At this point in your life, what are you finding yourself attracted to? What are you seeking? Well, you know, I mean, there are different things. First of all, it has to be something that you're willing to spend a year and a half or two years of your life on if you're going to direct it. And so it has to be, you know, it has to start with a, a story that you're interested in. You know, at the time when I was pitching this, I, you know, the, the idea of this, the way I wanted to tell the story, I said, I wanted to do it as a meditation. I don't want it to be lots of banging and smack. I want the silence to be important. And I said, and I also want it to be a story about, you know, dealing with, you know, playing out all of these things we're dealing with, playing out the denying of science and playing out anger and hatred and divisions in between the people in the United States, but divisions between the countries, divisions inside all of these other countries and the hatred that plays out in the Philippines or in Hungary or places like that. And if you play those out 30 years from now that you could, it's not inconceivable that you could blow, you know, the world could look like that. You know, we made, we sort of patterned it after the uh, satellite views of California and the wildfires, you know, and then we got the, the COVID and it became much clearer and sort of changed the way we edited and told the story. I took a lot more lines out was that it became clear that what's so deeply important is our ability to communicate and be near the people we love and how deeply that affects us when we can't. And, you know, with the end of it, having some hope, some redemption, that was a key because it can't just be, you know, this dystopian, you know, just, it, it can't all be nihilistic. There had to be, you know, we fashioned it all after a sort of a modern telling of On the Beach, which we put a clip in. But On the Beach, everybody, it, there is no hope at the end. And I always wanted there to be some redemption. And, uh, and you know, when you see the movie, I think you get that there's, you know, there's a man who's filled with regret who finds redemption. And I think, you know, that was important. Well said. One of the greatest aspects of the film, uh, besides Martin Rue's great cinematography, yeah. my favorite score of the year, and Alexandre Desplat, like crazy, crazy good. How did that come together? I think that was that being cut during COVID with him putting it in. Well, so, you know, we we worked on it for a long time. I sent him the script and you know, I've done I don't know, eight films or something like that with Alexander. We're really dear friends. And 
we talked about instrumentation and what we wanted to do. First, we you know we discussed synthesizer. We discussed a lot of different kinds of, and then we were like, no, this is actually. And, and once I realized, you know, I had a lot more lines, and I started taking out lines because Kaylin doesn't speak, and so if she's not going to speak, the only lines I would do were sort of, you know, uh, was would just be laying pipe and would just be trying to inform an audience that's not supposed to be there. So as I was taking out lines, I called up Alexander and I said, "You're going to write a lot more music than you've written for in the movie." Because the score is going to have to tell the story because there's no one talking. There has to be the score has, is going to have to do it. And he started working on started sending me pieces of music, beautiful pieces. And then I wrote him. I said, now this sequence and all you could see when we did it was, you know, the astronauts laying inside this this room. And this is the blood scene, you know, and I said, the blood is going to be dancing. It's going to be moving in a, you know, like a ballet. I said, so I need a piece of music. That, so he had to, he's like, in French, he's like, you want me to write the music for a ballet of blood? And I was like, yes, that's what I want. And without even being able to see the effects, he wrote this beautiful piece of music for it. You know, he's just one of the greatest composers in the game ever. And he has a great uh, understanding of storytelling with music. And, you know, and, and then we had to record it. In COVID, so I'm in. I have a screening room here where I edited. I had the editing room back here, here and uh, from home, and that's you know you do it all sort of on Evercast or Zoom. You know you're bouncing back and forth and cutting, but scoring. Alexander couldn't get into England where we were doing it at Abbey Road, so he's conducting it from Paris on via Zoom. We're recording it with uh, the orchestra at Abbey Road in London but they can only do 15 musicians at a time because you can't have that many people in the room. We you, you have 130 piece orchestra in there. And then I'm here at four in the morning uh, watching it live in LA. Grant and I are sitting in a chair here with like three different zooms going and we had to piece it together. And, you know, usually I'd be at Abbey road and Alexander would go, what do you think? And we'd talk about, you know, the intent of the scene and what it needs and what, what emphasis it needs. And this was really tricky because we're only hearing it in pieces and, and you had to wait to stack all those stems together and hear them. And, uh, and when it came together, I mean, you just, you know, you, and you hear it orchestrated and the fact of uh, the way that he had to do it remotely just makes it even that more of an accomplishment, you know? Yeah, sure. My God, knowing that now, especially. Yeah. Woo. Uh, Caitlin, what, what was the, what was the hardest thing you shot when you were when you were there what's like something that was the hardest thing for you to do well it was probably going to Iceland in the coldest condition because I felt sometimes really cold but then sometimes really cozy but mostly really cold Kayla remember how we were we were staying at a hotel at the foot of the of the glacier and remember how we'd have to drive up you drive up for about an hour wasn't it to get there yeah and the temperature would keep dropping as you got up there. But I'd come downstairs and I'd see Kaylin outside at the, the, at the hotel playing outside. You know, was, <laughs> she was all for the somewhat cold. And Kaylin, remember the uh, when we went had to go get into that big pod and we were walking in, in that snowstorm and and we were walking in the, you know, all of that section walking in the snow. Remember how it kept blowing you over? It must have. like it, it looked treacherous to just like walk through, let alone stand there and just let it like rattle you around. Well, and look, Clayton, we shot this on 65 millimeters. So you're holding an unbelievably heavy camera, you know, a steady camera handheld with this kind of wind blowing, like six guys trying to hold the camera guy up. And we're trying to get the shots we want. 
and we're waiting for this, you know, these, these gusts to come in because it really sells the, the look of it. But, you know, Kaylin and her mom would be, they'd be sitting, we were all in like, S, you know, these weird SUVs with these giant tires. Remember Kaylin, we'd be sitting there and then all of a sudden they'd come knock on your window and go, let's go. And she'd come running out with her goggles on and we'd have to shoot really quick when the weather was bad. Two more questions. I know I'm, I'm wrapping up on time. Kaylin, I have a question for you uh, because we're getting to know you. What's your favorite movie? What's the, the movie that you, you'll watch a hundred times? Harry Potter. Which one? All of them or just the first one? Um... I like the first one. Those original. It's good. It's a good answer. Yeah, I like the Alfonso Cuarón one too. Throw it out there. Good. Yeah. Um. I, and then my last uh, for you, uh, Mr. Clooney. Um. And now it's Mr. Clooney. Yeah, it's Mr. Mr. Clooney. Uh, random yesterday, I, like I was watching TV, I was just surfing, and I saw Grant Hesloff in Dante's Peak and True Lies. Literally, both were on TV yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and then I just was thinking about today, and I was like, you know, you've been with them so long, like partnering and stuff. I, I feel like I needed to give you like a minute just to like talk about that partnership. But uh, just in other things, Calico Joe, any updates on Calico Joe? Yeah, we're we're working on the script right now. It's a pretty cool thing. Have you read the book at all? No, I haven't. You should read the book. It's a really easy read. You could do it in a couple of, you know, I did it in, you do it in a couple of days, but it's, um, so it doesn't take up a, a, too much time, but it's a really great story. And, you know, we got this call from uh, Bob Dylan going, I optioned a, a John Grisham uh, book. Do you want to adapt it? And I was like, and work with you? Yeah, I would love it. <laughs> we we're working on that and we're uh, in, in pre-production on the tender bar. So we go, we go to Boston, you know, if COVID lets us. Yeah. And again, it's always been Grant, you know, Grant and I, it's, this is a true story. He really did, you know, give me a hundred bucks to get headshots in 1982. Um, so we've been, and he was 19 years old and he'd just done a guest shot on Joni Loves Chachi. And, uh, and so he was working and I was sleeping on the floor of a closet of another friend's apartment. And, you know, we've looked out for each other over the years and he was a journeyman actor. And sometimes that's a tricky thing to do as you get older and Steven and I Soderbergh and I had a company then called section eight and we grant and I'd been working together forever. You know, we produced our small films and produced our, you know, plays and did all that stuff. We acted in plays when, you know, in the early eighties. And then uh, he just said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rely on being an actor uh, in my adulthood. You know, as I get older, I've got kids now and I need something. And so I said, well, let's make it official and come over and work at Section 8. And he sort of came over and, and you know, Grant and I are, it's a funny pairing. You know, he's my best friend. He's, we've never had an, a disagreement, much less an argument, you know, and we've spent time for months together. And we were just, uh, you know, we we're just really close friends. We, we chase, we look for the same projects. We agree on things. He'll sit by the monitor, you know, uh, when I'm shooting myself and your tendency is to not do a lot of takes on yourself, uh, just out of modesty. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'll go, okay, it's fine. And Grant will stick his head out and go, do another take schmuck. Do another take. <laughs> and I'll be okay. So there's a, it's a, just ease, you know, I mean, we, when we're on location, generally, even with my family and his family, we all live in the same house. You know, we're, we're, we're really, close. he lives a block away, you know, like 
I walked over to his house yesterday with the dog and the kids. Stood outside and waved. We can't go. Uh, I'm glad. It's, it's really good to see you guys uh, still just making magic together. Because we're having fun. Yeah. You know, it's a, look, you know, we're lucky, obviously. We get to do the things we want to do. And, you know, as long as we can, you know, keep playing in this big playground for a period of time, as long as they let us play, we'll do it. They'll take them away at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, it was, Kaylin, it was so good meeting you today. Uh, listen, congratulations. You are a great actress, and I can't wait to see all the movies you're going to be making, especially the next one in Budapest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to be ni- a lot nicer there. And uh, and George, you are one of my heroes. I mean that, honestly, you're, you're, you're one of the great ones. So um, I'm just really excited to see you keep killing it the way you're doing it. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate it, man. All right, everyone, please be safe. Be safe. We're almost through this, you guys. We're close. Hang in there. The Midnight Sky begins a limited run in theaters on December 11th and will stream on Netflix starting December 23rd. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Janelle Riley, Jazz Tanke, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit.